there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are going to continue with our series on the Holy Spirit entitled Third Person. Now, um, I was supposed to preach this message last week, uh, but against, uh, against my better judgment, no, with my better judgment, I would say, I, I flip-flopped because I didn't really want to tackle this subject on Mother's Day, uh, and so we're going to tackle it today. Now, in order to do that, let me just uh, do a very quick recap on a message from two weeks ago. <clears throat> two weeks ago, we talked about two things that seemed to bother the Holy Spirit. We talked about quenching, uh, and we talked about grieving. So let's talk about quenching real first. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And here's what we discovered. Quenching the Holy Spirit is when we choose to ignore him when he tells us to do something that is right, something that is good. Um, A theological term for that would be sins of omission. It's this category that encompasses the sins of not doing what we should do. All right, James says in James 4, 17, whosoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, uh, for him it is sin. And so we talked about quenching is when the Holy Spirit leads us to do something good and we just are kind of like a a water pistol to a a flame. No, I'm not going to do that. It kind of quenches the Holy Spirit inside of us. Okay, then we talked about grieving the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, uh, Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And what we learned is what grieves the Holy Spirit is sin. It's when we choose to do the wrong thing. Okay, and so it's kind of like stiff-arming the Holy Spirit, saying, you know, I know I'm not supposed to do this. I know we're roommates and you reside with me, but I would rather, uh, I would rather you go away uh, while I sin. So a theological term for this would be sins of commission. It's a category of sin describing things that we did and we shouldn't have to do. So every time we ignore him when he tells us to do what is right, we quench his fire. Making the decision to do what is wrong grieves the Holy Spirit. Well, today we're going to continue along that same line of grieving the Holy Spirit. Um, The things that we know are sinful, but we go ahead and do them anyway. All right, and so this morning, uh, we're going to look at a sin that has profound effect, not only on us, but also the Holy Spirit of God who lives in our hearts. And so with that in mind, today we're going to tackle sexual sin. Now you see why I didn't want to preach this on Mother's Day. Um, It's the last thing you want to think about on Mother's Day. All right, so I believe that nothing grieves the Holy Spirit more than our sexual sins. All right, and so... Give you a little disclaimer here. Um, we're going to talk on the subject, and I'm going to keep it as PG-13 as possible. 
Um, so, so to begin with, uh, let's just talk about a couple of terms that are in the Bible or in the church that we kind of, uh, we kind of throw around these terms uh, just to get some vernacular in order. Um, you'll hear the term often when you, when you talk about sexual immorality, you'll hear the term fornication. All right, Fornication is when two people who are single, who are not in the confines of of a godly marriage, they're not married, they're just two single people, neither one of them are married, and they engage in sexual activity, all right? That is called fornication. Then the Bible uses another word, um, and this word is adultery. Adultery is when a person is married and goes outside of the confines of their marriage and has sex with, with another person. So one or both of the persons engaged in that would be married. Now, um, adultery carries with it uh, the same penalty, but there's a lot more weight with adultery because when you have two married people that have an affair, it's not just affecting those two people, it's affecting their spouses, their children, their families, their friends. So it's, a, it, it's an even deeper, um, uh, I guess the, the collateral damage of, of adultery can be even deeper. Uh, and then you hear the term used in church, lust, uh, and as, uh, in particular, sexual lust. Sexual lust is when a person commits a sexual act with another person in their minds, so through fantasy and, 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 and things of that sort. Um, Jesus equates sexual lust um, with adultery. Uh, Matthew 5, 27 and 28 says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart. And if I could just add, I, th- I think it would be fair to say this, any, um, anyone who looks at a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery uh, in her heart. Um, I surveyed some women that I, that I love and trust here, uh, and what I've come to find is that uh, women struggle with lust just as much as men, but we always kind of think of lust just being a, a man's sin because men are visual, uh, but women have the same, same battle with lust. So fornication, adultery, sexual lust, all three of these things paint for us kind of a macro view of what sexual immorality is. All right, now, there are other sexual sins, um, but I think all of those sexual sins are birthed from one of these three places. You know, the Bible speaks of, of a lot of, of sexual sins in a lot of situations, rape, incest, homosexuality, pornography, bestiality, prostitution, pedophilia. All right, so, but for the sake of this message, we're going to keep the macro view because this sermon is really not designed to talk about the sin itself but rather what that sin, what all sexual sin does to the Holy Spirit who now lives in our hearts. So before I even begin, I want to preface this message with two things. All right, number one is this. We all, let me say that again, we all have sexual sin in our lives. No one in this room is any better than anyone else. We all have a past. Um, So I would say it this way. 
At the end of this message, um, when I'm done preaching, I'll be up front. Our prayer team will be up here. You know, we'll make the call. If you need, you need, if you need prayer, if, if you are struggling with guilt from past sexual sin or you're struggling with sexual sin right now, we invite you to come up and have someone pray with you and pray over you. If everyone was honest, there would there'd be an, there, the, every seat would be empty. We would all be up here, including myself. We've all had this battle with our sexuality and sexual sin. We've all been there. The second thing I want to preface this with is the response that Jesus himself had with a woman who was caught up in sexual sin. And here's why I want you to see this. Because when we sin sexually, we ask for forgiveness. God is faithful to forgive us. But all too often, we fail to forgive ourselves. So many of you know this story well. I'm just going to kind of read it. I'm not going to speak into it a whole lot, just a few things. Uh, but this is Jesus' interaction with a woman who was caught up in adultery. So she was having sex outside of marriage with a, with a married man, and her, she herself could have been married too, and they could have been having an affair. All right? She is drug out, probably naked, in, in the middle of the street where Jesus is teaching. All right, we're going to pick up John 8, 3 through 11. I just want you to see how Jesus responds here. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, in the midst of Jesus, they said to him, Teacher, Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of, of adultery. You know, one thing I do want to say is that, that I find completely puzzling is where's the man in all this? Right? They drug the woman out, but they, they didn't bother to, to drag the, the, the man out. All right, verse 5. Now, in the law, this is the Old Testament law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Okay, so they drug this woman out. She's probably posturing herself because she knows the penalty. Culture was a lot different then, that she was going to be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? They're trying to kind of trap him here. Look at verse 6. They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus, he does these, these really precarious things. He just bends down. And starts doodling in the ground. Now, I'm not even going to attempt to explain to you what he was writing because we really don't know. Verse 7, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at this lady, at this woman. And once more he bent down and started writing on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up. I think he stood up so he could look her in the eye. And he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Do you see the compassion that Jesus has here for this woman caught in adultery? Jesus had the law on his side. She should have been stoned to death according to the law. Jesus is the purest and the holiest person that ever walked the face of, of this earth. Jesus, who is God himself in all his majesty and his power, says, Listen, I do not condemn her. 
And I want you to see the compassion that Jesus has here because we have a tendency to come down a lot harder on those who are caught up in sexual sin. And, and I want you to notice Jesus does not condemn her, but he also doesn't condone this. That's why he says, so go and sin no more. So what, is it, what he's essentially saying is, look, you're a beautiful woman and, and this should not be your way of life. This should not be how you express your sexuality. There's a right way to do this, and you're doing it the wrong way. You're sleeping with another woman's husband. And so with that in mind, seeing the kind of the compassion that Jesus had, I want to look at a scripture about the Holy Spirit that is somewhat familiar but is very often misunderstood. All right, we find it in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. And I would say this, some of you probably know this scripture, some of you probably use this scripture. This scripture is one of those that we like to put in our, our, our little blow dart gun and blow at people to, to kind of condemn them at times. And this scripture is often misused. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Paul says, or do you not know... That your body, your physical body, my body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. So what you have here is you have this passage that's dealing with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, when you're saved, God breathes his Holy Spirit into your soul, into our soul, into our heart. Uh, so your body, my body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where he lives. Now, <clears throat> I've seen this passage taken out of context and used to kind of attack people. All right, and so let's, let me give you a few, few examples. I've seen it used this way. Oh, so you're a smoker, hmm? hmm? Well, you know, smoking's bad for you. Do you not know that, like, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, like, you're kind of choking the Holy Spirit out. Why in the world would you do that and harm your body? Okay, so we've used it that way. <clears throat> I've also seen it used this way. Look at the kind of shape you're in. I mean, you never exercise. You, you, you never, you, you, you eat horribly. I mean, you've eaten yourself into diabetes. Uh, you are obese. Don't you know that your body is the holy temple of the Spirit? Like, you should take better care of yourself. So I've, used, I've seen it used that way. I've also seen it used this way. Wow, that's a lot of tattoos you have. That's a lot of piercings you have. Like, don't you know that your body is, is where the Holy Spirit lives? He's the, he's the temple. You shouldn't degrade your body that way. You're degrading uh, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So this is how this passage is commonly used, or, or better yet, misused. And so as your preacher, I, I always encourage you to look at the context of the passage itself rather than picking one or two verses that you can use to, you know, uh, blow your spiritual darts of condemnation over people, okay? 
So we're going to look at the context of this passage and see that it's not talking about smoking cigarettes or drinking beer or overeating or piercing your body. All right, so listen, should we take care of our bodies? Absolutely. However, I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees in the context of why Paul is writing this. Because this passage has something to do uh, with, with something that's far more detrimental than smoking or drinking or, 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 or anything else. This passage deals exclusively and purposefully with sexual sin and the effects it has on the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in our hearts. So with that in mind, we're just going to back up a few verses so we can read this in its context itself. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to start with the latter part of verse 13. Here's what Paul says. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. So think of fornication, adultery, sexual lust, even pornography, those, those sexual sins. The, our bodies aren't meant for that. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So Paul, what he is doing is he's he's addressing a church that he started in this city called Corinth. Now, Corinth was this beautiful, beautiful place. Um, It's in modern-day Greece now. Um, it's not terribly far from, from Athens, okay? And so when, when Paul wrote this letter, there were lots and lots of ways to get, tr- get into trouble in the city of Corinth. So he uses some strong imagery here in verse 15. Look what he says. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members with a prostitute. Never. All right, so I I told you, Corinth was this beautiful city, but it was also a very sinful city. It's been called the Amsterdam of the ancient world. I likened Corinth back then much to Las Vegas today. Like, if there was a mantra in the city of Corinth, when Paul wrote this letter, it was, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, okay? Because what you had is you had this kind of port city where you had lots of traveling salesmen coming in and out. You had lots of sailors coming through. Archaeologists have discovered there were 33 taverns in the city of Corinth. There was lots of idol worship. Prostitution was legal and it was encouraged. There was lots and lots of nefarious behavior in the city of Corinth. In that city, This is where Paul plants this church. I have a friend of mine who did a church plant in Las Vegas. And it was funny, we were talking, this was a couple years ago, we were talking and and the people that walk through his doors are way different than the people that walk through our doors here at Elevate. He was telling me that primarily what makes up their body are people that work on the strip in Vegas. So his church is full of exotic dancers, nightclub owners, casino dealers, female escorts, bartenders, like a very different group of people that I minister to here in Hiram, Georgia. I just want you to get a visual because these are the kind of people that Paul is ministering to here in the city of Corinth. 
Most people who lived there and grew up there had some sexual skeletons in their closet. It was the climate in which they lived. And so in verse 15, Paul uses this strong analogy. Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Now, in order to understand that, we have to understand something else about this city of Corinth. Corinth was the home of this massive temple, the temple of Aphrodite. Um, it's still there today. It's in ruins. There's not much left of it. Um, but, but in this city, you had the temple of Aphrodite. Now, if you don't know who Aphrodite is, real quick, she is the ancient Greek goddess of sexual love and beauty. This temple of Aphrodite employed 1,000 prostitutes. Okay? And so the way you worshipped Aphrodite is you slept with one of the temple prostitutes. And it was somehow a way of sleeping with Aphrodite herself. This is how you worshiped. Okay, and so let me get this picture. So what you have is this church in Corinth where the, the members of the church have surrendered, surrendered themselves to Christ, who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, who had the Holy Spirit residing in them, but they were leaving worship services uh, at the church in Corinth, and throughout the week they were visiting the temple of Aphrodite and sleeping with these prostitutes. And so you have this church that was really struggling with sexual sin. Look at verse 15. He says, Or do you not know that... He who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For it is written, the two will become one flesh. Now, you may be familiar with that that, that phrase, the two will become one flesh. Um, That's what God talks about uh, in the Old Testament. Jesus used that phrase. And and here's the principle of this. Uh, When you fall in love and and you get married uh, and you consummate that marriage... Um, <clears throat> with sexual intercourse, um, the two of, uh, of your souls, you and your spouse, they become intertwined. There's a Hebrew word for love called dode that means two souls that begin to mingle together as one. And so you have two people in marriage becoming one flesh. Everything kind of gets intertwined together. So those of you who have been through a divorce, you get what we're saying here. Right? Because when you fall in love with someone and it doesn't work out and you're married for several years and you get a divorce and that relationship is over, a part of your soul goes with your former spouse, a part of who you are, and a part of them goes with you. It's just not a clean break. All right? And so it's this, this concept of the two becoming one flesh. So when we give our bodies to someone, we're not just giving them our bodies, are we? We're literally giving them a piece of our souls. You know, sex, contrary to what culture says, is far deeper and far more intimate than the physical. This is what Paul is getting at here, all right? We are giving part of who we are to another person. It's on the deepest level possible. So look what he writes next. Verse 17, but he who is joined with the Lord becomes one spirit, all right? So our soul becomes intertangled with the Lord's spirit himself. I don't know if you know the weight and the beauty of that, but that passage would just leave us in awe right here. We could just stop. But look at verse 18. 
flee from sexual immorality. Then he says this puzzling phrase that scholars have argued about for years. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But sex, the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. And what does that mean? Well, you can read 100 different commentaries and get 100 different answers. Scholars are stumped by this one, right? Because sin is sin. You know, Paul said if, you, if you're guilty of breaking one of the laws, you've broken them all. So sexual immorality, will, unforgiven sexual immorality, will land us in hell just as much as lying or cheating or stealing. So sin is sin. So what does this even mean? I wish I had an exact answer for you. All I can do is offer you my opinion, uh, which is derived from an old commentary, Eliot's commentary for English readers. Um, I would ask you to visualize the Old Testament for a minute, all right? Remember what, how they worshiped in the Old Testament? God was in the temple. You had to go to the temple to worship. And in the structure of the temple, you had all these courts, these different outer courts, okay? And then you had the holy place where the priest would go. And then on the other side of the holy place, you had the holy of holy places. Now, let me ask you a question. Where did God live? He lived literally in the holy of holy places. This isn't a metaphor in the Old Testament. When God told the Israelites, I, you will be my people, I will live among you, he lived in the holy of holies. He dwelled over the Ark of the Covenant in his Shekinah glory. Okay? And the holy of holy place was a place you didn't want to be because it was completely holy. No one was allowed in there except the priest one time a year and they tied a rope around his neck in case he was struck dead. All right, so, um, so think about you for a minute and think about where God lives. He doesn't live in the temple anymore in the holy of holy places. Where does God reside? Within us, Within us in our hearts. Other sins profane only the outer courts of the temple, but the sin that penetrates with a deadly foulness is sexual sin. Our bodies are the temple of the Lord now, and somehow, someway, sexual sin seems to permeate from this desire within us, this craving within us. And it just grieves the Holy Spirit on a deeper level. So let me share an illustration with you. I, I get that this is clumsy, but it's the best I could come up with. Those of you who are married, uh, men, I want you to think about your wives, and I want, to think, I want you to think about all the things you did to sin against your wife, whatever, whatever that looks like. All right, got that? Some of you are going to take longer because there's a lot more. All right, all right so ladies, I want you to think about your, your husbands for a minute. Think about all the things that you, you did to sin uh, uh, against them, okay? Picture that. Now, let's chat for a minute. <clears throat> Probably most of us in here have lied to our spouses, right? Maybe it was a little white lie. Maybe it was one of those, does this make me look fat? And you're like, oh, no, you look beautiful, right? You, you just look marvelous. Or, you know, the guy's like, hey, honey, I feel like my hair's thinning out. Oh, no, you got a beautiful head of hair, right? So uh, you could be a little white lie or could it be, be, be even a more severe lie. If your spouse lies to you, is that going to hurt? It would me. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to be lied to by the person they trust the most. It's going to hurt. Okay. <clears throat> 
let's say you steal from your spouse. I don't know, you get up in her purse and take $10 to go get lunch, or she gets in your wallet and you just kind of steal the money off the top. Uh, is that going to hurt your spouse? Yes. You don't want your, the one you love to steal from you. It's going to hurt. Let's say you get into an argument with your spouse. And we all know when we're terribly angry, we say the most beautiful, thoughtful things, don't we? No, we don't. And so in your anger, you sin and you say something that's going to, you know, really, is that going to hurt your spouse? Yes. Now let's say you step outside of your marriage and you cheat on your spouse with another. I want to submit to you that nothing will sting like this because you have gone outside of your marriage bed. You have let someone else feel the needs that your spouse was supposed to feel. Leaving your spouse left feeling hurt and betrayed. So are all these things sin, like lying, stealing, anger, having an affair? Yes, but one of them has a deeper, more soul-crushing effect, doesn't it? The affair. When we came to Christ and he saved us, we entered into a covenant relationship with God. The Holy Spirit filled our hearts and we became one with the Spirit of God. Isn't that what verse 17 says? But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And so when we sin sexually, somehow, some way, and I don't know how to explain it, it involves all of us. So, and we've got to remember who we belong to. We belong to God. God lives with us. He's there. The Holy Spirit is there. And sexual sin grieves him in a way that carries a lot more weight to it. So we go back to where we began, verses 19 and 20. After Paul's talking about sexual immorality, he ends with this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. We belong to God. God's Spirit lives in us. And sexual sin grieves him in a very deep way. Because it's a very deep, full-body experience. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, you can shake your head. Uh, how many of you remember a man named Samson in the Bible? Anybody? A few of you? Samson is found in the Old Testament. <clears throat> if you don't know anything about Samson, Samson had superhuman strength. Um, uh, he was a strong man. Now, where did Samson derive his strength from? So a lot of people are going to say his hair. That's yes and no. He, God told him not to cut his hair because um, he, he, he took a vow with God. But that's not exactly where Samson derived his strength from. Do you know where he really derived his strength from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. All right. I want, I want to show you just a couple case points before we get a little uh, deeper into this. Um, so Samson's this man, he had this incredible strength, he, he encounters a lion, and it's a ferocious, mean lion, and Samson has no weapons, all right, and he's got to fight this lion. I want you to see this, Judges 14, 6, then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces. I can just imagine him grabbing the upper jaw and the lower jaw, and whoosh, 
ripping that line just right in half. Why? Because the Holy Spirit rushed upon him. Judges 14, 19. And the Holy Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Then he went down and he struck down 30 Philistines. All right, Judges 15, 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Okay, so what you have is you've got Samson. He's got long hair, and the Lord says don't cut it. But the real source of his strength was who? The Holy Spirit would rush upon him. Okay, now, what you may not know about Samson, if you, if you haven't done an in-depth study on him, is Samson was a womanizer. To, I mean, if there ever was a womanizer, it was Samson. He slept with women of the night. He slept with pagan, heathen women. Um, he had a reputation. He kind of liked loose, fast women. The most famous woman in Samson's life, of course, being Delilah. Delilah. All right, you know the story. Delilah was an enemy of Samson. Uh, and the enemy said, you, you know, you need to get friendly with Samson. Maybe you can woo out of him sexually, give him some sexual favors, and you can find out what's the source of his strength so we can fight. Because every time we try to capture him, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he opens up a can on all of us, right? And it happens every time, so we need to do something about this. And if you know anything about the story, night after night, she's like, honey, do you really love me? Tell me the secret to your strength. And he would lie to her, and then she would do the lie, and then the Philistines would come, and he would break and open another can. And, you know, it was just a really, I'm looking at it on the outside going, man, Samson, you're an idiot. But I think there's something that we can learn from this. And we're almost done. I'm not going to keep you super, super long. But I want to give you the four consequences of sexual sin from the story of Samson. Uh, and this is Jenison Franklin's in his writings. Real quick, Samson lost four things because of his sexual sin. Number one, he lost his vision. He lost his vision. When they did finally capture Samson, what was the first thing they did to him? Do you remember? Judges 16, 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. And brought him down to Gaza and bound him in bronze shackles and he ground in the mill in the prison. His eyes were gouged out. He lost his vision. Hear me. The longer we let ourselves be chained up with sexual sin, the less we can see spiritually. It clouds our spiritual vision. So he lost his vision. Number two, he lost his common sense. Four times. One, two, three, four. Delilah says, what's the source of your strength? Three times he lied. Remember what he said first? He said, well, here's the secret of my strength. If you take bow and arrow string that's not been fully dried out, it's still wet, and you bound me with that, I'll be, I'll be helpless. I won't know, anyone will be able to stop me. So what does she do when he goes to sleep? She bounds him up with strings from a bow and arrow. She gets word to the Philistines Hey, I've got them. They come to the house. She says, oh, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. Thinking that they were going to be able to capture or kill him, he gets up, breaks the bowstrings, and then proceeds to open up another can on the Philistines. Well, the next night, she's like, well, I thought you loved me. I thought we were soulmates. I've, I've given you myself. I do all these things for you. you. 
do you really love? If you really love me, you wouldn't lie to me. It, the, the Bible says that um, she nagged him to the point of death. He, would, he just wanted to die because she would not stop. You know, some of you live in that. I'm sorry. <laughs> we do offer counseling. All right. So she said, no, no, no. Just take ropes that have never been used. Brand new, fresh ropes. If you bound me with that, I, I, I'll be just like any ordinary, ordinary man. All right. So you see how the common sense is fleeting? She wraps him up with ropes. Samson, the Philistines are upon us. He gets up, breaks the ropes, opens up another can. Then she's really upset, right? She's like, you know, that foot's just moving and hands are on the hip. I thought you said you love me. Why won't you just share with me this, this, this secret after all I do for you? Okay, here, here's what you need to do. You need to braid my hair in seven braids. Right, and then pin it up. You need to give me a little updo. All right? So he, she gets him to fall asleep in her lap. She braids his hair, gives him an updo. Samson, Philistines are upon us. Pulls the pin out, opens up another can. Philistines go running with their tails tucked between their legs. You see the common sense being lost here? Fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times. And then the fourth time. She won't stop. And he finally says, well, you know what? If you cut my hair, I'll lose my strength. Common sense goes out the window. You can tell her what, what, you tell her what she thinks is the truth three times, only to find men there to kill you. Night after night, common sense went out the window. And here's what I, what I have found in my 20 years of ministry here. Um, is that people who are wrapped up with sexual sin, I see this all the time, common sense goes out the window. Their behaviors become completely irrational and erratic. So the loss of vision, the loss of common sense, and then he also had the loss of fear. I mean, I would have been terrified if I were Samson. He should have put an end to the relationship, but instead he continues to pour gas on the fire. He seems fearless, making himself more and more vulnerable to his enemy. This is what sin does to us. The more we get away with sexual sin, the more comfortable we feel. Samson was so comfortable he would fall asleep in her lap. And it began to sear his consciousness. So he lost his vision, his common sense. His fear, and this is the one that really stings. He lost the favor of God. Sexual sin will cause you and me to lose the favor of God in our lives. Anything, any type of success that you have in your life... Anything that is going well, anything that's going good right now in your life is because of God's favor and nothing else. Samson woke up after she had cut his hair. He didn't know that he had lost his strength. Here's what Samson thought. The Spirit of the Lord will just rush on to me like always. I've got the Spirit of the Lord. I've always had it. I always will, and I'll just take care of business like always. But Samson found himself losing the battle this time, didn't he? Look at verse 20. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, 
I'll go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He lost the favor of God. Now, I want you to understand something. It didn't happen the first time. It didn't happen the second time. It didn't happen the third time. That's not God excusing your sin. That's God expressing mercy. But there will come a time in your life when continual chronic sin that the Holy Spirit has convicted you of will cost you the favor of God himself. The bottom line is this. All sin grieves the Holy Spirit, yes. But sexual sin has a far more profound effect on the Holy Spirit. And so if you are caught up in lust, pornography, right? So statistics would tell us that one out of every two men in here are addicted to pornography. And three out of every ten women are. Sleeping around, any kind of sexual sin... It hurts the Holy Spirit in the deepest way possible. So what do we do about it? I have one simple word. It's all I could come up with. Repent. Repent. Do you know what happened at the end of the story of Samson? So they gouged his eyes out and they chained him up. They took him to the Philistine temple of Dagon. There were 3,000 people there, and they were worshiping this idol through sexual acts and all kinds of illicit behavior. And so at some point, they said, you know what? Bring the strong man out here. Let, let, let him amuse us. Let's let him entertain us, our, our great enemy. And so they brought Samson out there. He's blind. He's being led. And he tells the guy leading him, he says, hey, I need a break. Will you just lean me up against the, 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 the structural pillars that hold this building up? I just need to hold myself up. And you remember what he does? He repents. He tells God he's sorry. And he asks for God to give him strength one last time. And the Holy Spirit, the favor of God, when he repents, descends upon Samson. The Bible says he pushed those pillars down. The whole temple came down and 3,000 of the high-ranking Philistine officials were killed. In fact, the Bible says he killed more in his death than he did in his life. Why? Because he repented. So let me ask you a question to ask of yourself this morning. In the arena of sexual sin, lust, pornography, affairs, what, any, all, all those, that list, you know the list. What is God calling you to repent for this morning? What's God calling you to repent for? Let me go back to the woman caught in adultery as we close this thing out. And I want you to notice the words of Jesus one last time. John 8, 10, and 11. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. I want you to understand something. We all struggle with sexual sin. Jesus is not here to condemn you. He's here to save you. The word repent is not a bad word. It's simply saying, I'm sorry, God. This is what I've done. I'm sorry. The same amount of compassion and dignity 
that Jesus showed to that woman, I promise you he will show to you. When I was a kid, uh, I didn't grow up in the church, and I became a teenager and gave my life to the Lord. But um, even though I gave my life to the Lord, I was living a life like Samson. I had the Holy Spirit of God with me, but um, I was just totally grieving. I was caught up in all kinds of sexual sin as a, as, a, as a high schooler. And I remember there was this popular illustration. I know it was popular because I saw it like three different churches that youth ministers would use back in that day. Um, and I remember going to, to the church, and um, the, the, the youth minister would have a, like a white rose. And he would say, all right, I just want you to pass this white rose around, and I want you to feel it. I want you to smell it. I just want you to touch it, all right? And just, just pass it around. I want everyone to, you know, kind of to, to touch it and feel it and smell it. Um, and then he would proceed to give a message on sexual purity, okay? And then at the end of the message, kind of the great crescendo of the message, he'd say, all right, now where's that flower? Where's that flower? Bring that flower up here. And that flower would come back and like petals would be missing. It was all, you know, you could tell it had been worn and like the stem was broken. And so it kind of was hung down and the thing would whop around. And, and he would say, now I want to ask you a question. Who would want this? After all of you have touched it and smelled it, who would want this? And he's talking about sexual purity. And I'm, I'm this kid who, who just gave my life to the Lord and I'm still struggling with it. And I was led to believe Jesus doesn't want me. I'm the flower here. And it was the very first time in my life as a teenager where I definitively heard the voice of God. And he simply said, Jesus wants the flower. Jesus wants the flower. That's the point. He's not here to condemn us. He's here to save us. And listen, some of you, you've got a sordid sexual past. And God has forgiven you. But you haven't forgiven yourself. Your whole life, you kind of feel like that broken, used up flower. And you feel like that's how people view you. Friends, Jesus Christ makes all things new. The Holy Spirit only pours new wine. He's in the business of restorating our souls and resurrecting our spirits no matter where we've been, who we've been with, what we've done. That is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.